0: Has divorce become a reality and you are asking yourself now what? If you have questions about your new life, you're in the right place. Her divorce source with Leah Jones is the go-to podcast for women before, during, and after a divorce. Join me, Leah Jones, a certified divorce financial analyst at Hightower Bethesda, as I help you envision and create a new life that's full of possibilities, empowerment, and freedom. I'll tackle your concerns about lifestyle and money, giving you practical guidance you can use right away. Now let's get started. Jeff, thanks so much for being with me today. I am really excited to talk to you.
1: Oh, My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I came across Jeff from a book that he had written, Divorce, Think Financially, Not Emotionally, and he has two volumes, volume one and two, and he's written several other books, so I'm not going to go into all of them, but this was the book specifically that I had read, and I thought to myself, this guy has a lot of experience in serving and working with divorcing women, so we have something in common.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, Jeff, what I would love for you to do before we start to get into the content around the primary home is I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background with our listeners so they get a sense of who you are.
1: Initially, early in my career, I was involved for in, in real estate probably for about three decades or so. Got bored of uh, doing that for a while actually decided, since I was always interested in the stock market, to become a stockbroker, otherwise known as a financial advisor now. While I was doing that, I had uh, several clients that were going through a divorce, and a light bulb went on, and I said, wow, what a great way to differentiate myself from every other financial advisor out there that was just talking about what stocks to buy or, uh, you know, retirement funds and, uh, you know, those type of things. So I decided to focus on the divorce market. And then I decided to specifically focus on divorcing women. A couple of years into that, in 2010, I started my company, Bedrock Divorce Advisors which helps women throughout the country on the financial aspects of their divorce. So I worked hand in hand uh, with their divorce attorney. The attorney, of course, did the legal matters. I worked on everything concerning the finances, how much alimony should be had, how much child support, what was the best way to divide assets, uh, what happens to the marital home, and all of those good things. And then fairly recently, within the last year or so, I started the new companies that we'll be talking about shortly that focuses uh, exclusively on what to do with the marital home and what the options are and how I can help people either keep their home, sell their home, uh, you know, if one spouse wants to keep it, how to do that and all of that good stuff.
0: What I love about these companies, which we're going to go into a lot more detail about, is that these companies were created from a real life situation that you saw play out over and over again in your expertise in working in your specialty in working with divorcing women, so mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that. What what situation? Because I know I have seen it myself many, many, many times. But what situation did you see play out over and over again as you were advising divorcing women and related in relation well, I mean, to in, the primary home?
1: Yeah, and in, in almost every divorce situation, um, there, there is a marital home. Um, the, you know, I would probably say. 90 to 95% of the time, I mean, I've had clients that are only in rentals or whatever, but I would say literally 90 to 95% owned either a home or a condo. In many cases, the home was their largest asset. And usually when you go through most of these divorce situations, the three things that are usually up there as far as assets, it's the marital home, it's the retirement plans, and if there's a closely held business. As I said, in most cases, the largest asset is typically the house, and there's always the question of what to do with it. Many times, uh, women would prefer to keep the house, uh, especially if you know there's still minor children there, and there's the question of how do they keep that? How do they buy out their soon-to-be ex-spouse? Can they afford to refinance the house? Are they going to be forced to sell the house and then the equity has to be divided? Can they afford to buy something new? How does all that get done? What type of income are they going to need to be able to afford that? Can can you do a little horse trading? You know, well, I get to keep the house, but I'll give up my rights to your 401k or to your pension. I mean, there's always a lot of interplay revolving around the house. And especially, like I said, if they're children, I mean, you know, when parents divorce, it's very, very traumatic for the kids, regardless of their age, to then further compound the whole trauma of their parents divorcing if they're faced with now they have to move and the kids have to be taken out of the school that they're going to and away from their friends it just makes a bad situation worse and really negatively impacts the kids. So in the vast majority of situations, um, if one spouse, and again, typically the woman, if she could figure out a way to keep the house, usually that's preferred. Not always, Leah, I mean, sometimes the house represents, you know, a lot of bad memories and a lot of bad stuff and they can't wait to sell it and get out and start fresh. But I would say that's still, you know, a minority of the cases.
0: So what's important when someone is going through a divorce, and specifically we're talking about divorcing women here, is number one, they have someone who they can work with. My background is in the financials and evaluation of those as they relate to that divorcing woman's ability to continue to stay in the home. So first step is you want to understand what you have and, and can you afford to stay in the home? I think that's just to take a step back. That's kind of the first step right now where your solutions really come in is if the person can afford to stay in the home longer term how do they buy their husband out? What what do they do? What type of options? How do they refinance? And so what I really want to do is get into the nuts and bolts of each of the three options that you have discovered, because each of them have have nuances related to this financial component in terms of can the woman refinance? Is that an option? You're um, right. How do they pay out? You know, how do they pay out their spouse? Right. Talk to me a little bit about the first
1: company that you created. Okay. So, so the first company is Next Act Properties. I like to consider that the, the, the main company and my other two companies are sort of sister companies, Next Act Mortgages and, and Next Act Realty. But Next Act Properties does two things. One, it, it's sort of like a consulting type of service, if you will, because the first thing you have to figure out is is what option works for you? What do you want to do with the house? As I said before, not everybody wants to stay in the house. They, they may want to get rid of it, or maybe the house is too big. It's got six bedrooms and five baths, and you already have one kid in college. Uh, what do you need a humongous house like that for? So the first thing is really to decide if you want to keep it. If the answer to that is yes, then how do you go about doing that? Typically, things were different ten years ago when you know we were going through the financial crisis and a lot of people were underwater and they owed more on the mortgage than the house was worth. That's a whole different topic because then you just <laughs> want to figure out how to get rid of that house and 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 get out of that upside down situation but now people have a tremendous amount of equity especially in the last few years especially during the pandemic i mean on average houses have gone up nationwide 20 to 25 percent so people have a lot of equity in the house, and obviously if you're getting divorced, that equity is a marital asset subject to division. So if you have $200,000 in equity, and, and when I say equity, that's the, the value of the house minus whatever you owe on your mortgage and what's left over is the, is the equity that you have, your soon-to-be ex-spouse is going to say, well, half of that equity belongs to me, If you're going to keep the house, how do I get my share of that equity? There are a number of ways to work that out. Obviously, it depends what your other assets are. I mean, if there's a bank account, you could write a check. If there's sufficient assets there, if they're retirement funds, a portion of that uh, can be transferred to to your soon-to-be ex-spouse you have to look at various things because you know that unless it's a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, when you sell those assets, there are tax implications. Now, if you just do a transfer pursuant to divorce, there is no tax implication to that, but eventually somebody's going to probably need to sell some of those assets, uh, and there may be tax implications, or even when they retire and they pull that money out, it's taxable income, as as you know, Leah. Jeff,
0: talk us through how, when there's, in this example, $200,000 of equity, how the divorcing woman can use a refinance, if she's eligible to, and that's key, to pay off her soon-to-be ex-spouse.
1: As I mentioned earlier, the houses have appreciated substantially over the last few years. So if she goes to refinance, she might be able to get a mortgage that's much larger than the existing mortgage on the house. So if she could go and get a mortgage, uh, let's say for 600000 and the current mortgage is 400000 then she would be able to pull out. 200000 uh, from that refinancing and use some of that money then to pay the $100,000 for the husband's share of, of his equity. The real question is, uh, and, and this is where we have to work backwards, and that's why it's so important for divorcing couples and, and their attorneys to bring in a professional during the divorce negotiations so we could figure out how to make this work. Uh, Because in order to get any type of refinancing, the spouse that's staying in the house is going to have to have what's called qualified income. Now, of course, if she has a job and she has W-2 income, she's making $100,000 or $150,000 a year, perhaps that alone might qualify her for the refinancing but in many cases, either her salary, her income is not sufficient, and then it's important to be able to use alimony and or child support to be used as qualified income. But there are a lot of criteria for what counts as qualified income to refinance the mortgage. So for example, in both the case of alimony and child support, one, both of those payments have to have been received consistently and on time for six months prior to the mortgage. And here's the important aspect. It has to continue for at least 36 months beyond the signing of the new mortgage. So if you have a situation where you're depending on child support and you have a child that's 17 years old, and the age of emancipation in in most states is 18, then you're not going to have 36 months of child support for for, for that child since they're going to turn 18 in a year. So that portion, if it's an only child, then child support would not count as qualified income. If there's several children, then it would be reduced because for that one child uh, you only have a year of child support in, in, in under that scenario and not 36 months same thing with with, with with alimony you've got a situation where if it's six months prior and 36 months after you need at least 42 months of payments and then i would add a fudge factor just in case things take longer as they always do. So maybe you're looking at child support and, and alimony lasting at least 48 months or four years. That's very, very important. Otherwise, they may not qualify for a refinancing. And you see many divorce cases, and unfortunately, many divorce attorneys are not aware of this. So they'll say, okay, the wife keeps the house, but she agrees that within six months, she'll refinance the mortgage into her own name, not understanding that in order to even get there, you have to have six months of of prior payments. The alimony and child support might not be written to continue for 36 months. So if someone is a professional is brought in after the fact, they can't change anything. If we're brought in in the middle of negotiations, we could say, hey, in order to qualify for this amount of mortgage, She's going to need so much in alimony. She's going to need so much in child support. It has to continue for this amount of time. And maybe you work out a deal saying, all right, you know, I'll pay her that additional alimony for that period of time. But in return, instead of getting 50% of my 401k, she'll only get 41, 40%. There's ways to wheel and deal to make sure that she could qualify for a refinancing.
0: So, Jeff, you touched on so many important points there. I I just want to add my two cents on some of them. So qualification of the divorcing woman for the refinance is absolutely critical. And it is oftentimes, to your point, an afterthought. Exactly. Why? Because people assume nothing about it. You know, they just assume. And I, I literally just had this conversation with a client. They just assume almost that you can just remove the ex-spouse's name from the mortgage and you and I know it just it does not work that easily like
1: (laughs) no and they also assume that because you remove the ex-spouse's name from the title and they did a quick claim deed that changes anything has nothing to do with the mortgage
0: no, exactly. And in fact, the deed is just the ownership, right? Like mm-hmm. it is who owns the home? But the mortgage is the obligation to continue to pay. It's the liability. So yes, that, that, you, can, you can give the home to your wife, but you're still on the hook for the mortgage until it's refinanced.
1: For a home that you no longer own. That's absolutely correct. Correct, <laughs> yes.
0: So unfortunately, I just think there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and conceptually, it seems like, oh, not that big of a deal. Just call up the mortgage company remove the ex-spouse, and it just doesn't work like that. A, a couple things related to the refinance that I just want to clarify, because you, you talked a lot about the alimony and the credit support, 100% spot on on all those time periods that you need to be aware of. So a history mm-hmm. of six months, and then proof that you basically have this as an ongoing payment for the next four years. So, so spot on there. The other things I'd say that's important on the refinance is oftentimes divorcing women don't really have... Credit score, so that's really important, right? Because maybe it's if your husband was the one that was working, and he's always the one that took credit out, you might not have a credit score. So one thing I always say to my clients is go check your credit, understand what your score is, right? Because even just having no history at all leads to a lower credit score, even though you've done nothing wrong and you haven't defaulted on anything, but just even not having a history of taking out credit and paying it back just by by itself lowers your credit oh, score. So
1: I, I, I agree and 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 one of the things I always tell my clients even at the point where they're just contemplating one of the first things I tell them is maybe go and get a, a couple of credit cards in your own name because many times it, it's either their co-owners on, on, on the credit card, or she's just an authorized user, but the card is in his name, you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, sometimes you've got to be careful because sometimes in divorce, uh, you know, a vindictive soon-to-be ex-husband may do what he can to essentially screw up her credit score.
0: Obviously, we, we hope that that's not the case, but these are some things you need to look out for. And then the second thing I was going to talk about is, is debt. Like, so depending on how you guys structured your finances, the divorcing woman might have debt. Other additional debt besides the mortgage in their name, they might have a car, they might have student loans. When the bank goes to qualify you on your own for the refinance, they're going to look at all those numbers and they're going to say there's these like debt to income ratio numbers, which, you know, we're not going to go too much into, but they're going to say, okay, how much income does this person have? Options there are if you are a working divorcing woman and you have income and it's good, steady, history you got multiple proof of history of of the incomes ongoing then that they're going to certainly use that and then if you have alimony and child support in addition again if they are as long as you are within the parameters of the time frames you talked about then they'll use that too so that all goes on your plus side but on your minus side is going to be that debt and any other debt that is in your name So you can't just assume, oh, I can qualify for this mortgage, no problem, because you got to look at everything that might be on the debt side. Some really kind of key key points there. Don't make any assumptions about qualification. The couple should talk to an expert in this area and make sure that they can qualify before they make decisions. And if they can't, we're going to talk about some of the solutions that, that you have for them there, which are really unique and innovative. And I think could could help a lot of people in this situation. But best case scenario is that you can. And then if you can qualify, maybe you can take out even a little bit more money. And then if that's the case, you can easily pay off your partner. I'm a big fan. If you're able to do that, to do that, because it is kind of tough to, to offset those assets with retirement. You mentioned some of the tax consequences and it's just not an apples for apples type of comparison but if you can take the money out via a cash out refinance and pay off your partner maybe keep a little bit more for yourself for liquidity that's kind of your best case scenario
1: but sometimes that becomes difficult because that requires you taking a larger mortgage which means that you're going to need more income to qualify for that. So sometimes you reach a point where th- that's not going to work and you may need to tap into other assets if, if they exist. And you could do that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, as, as the divorce settlement is being negotiated, you have to look at the tax implications of everything and, and see how that pans out for both parties. But that's why it's important to bring somebody in during the negotiations and not after the fact, because if I came in, I I could pull her credit report. I could see what her score is. You could begin working on, okay, pay some of this debt down or or have your husband assume that debt uh, and get your name off of it. Maybe if you give up some other asset or you do something else, it just becomes part of the entire negotiation process and see if it could be worked out. I mean, sometimes- there's just too many hurdles to jump over and doing the refinancing and the buyout is just not a viable situation under those circumstances.
0: Yeah. And I would say start that history of the alimony payment right away too. That's really important. And mm-hmm. I'd say also the incentive to the, the ex-spouse to get this right is they their names have to be removed for them to ever have a chance of qualifying for a mortgage on their own in the future too both parties are really invested in getting this transaction right. And I think they're just exactly. not aware of some of the nuances. So I think we talked a little bit about if you have the ability and you can financially qualify for it, and you can also pay the ongoing expenses associated with it. So that's one situation, which is actually pretty unique. Let's talk about the other situations and your companies that were built around helping people that that don't fit into that space there. right
1: the Other option is that you continue to jointly own the house. So even post divorce, you keep the existing mortgage, both names are on the title or whatever. But then there's a question who's now paying the mortgage? I mean, if you're the outspouse and you've moved out and you're not living in the house, you know, maybe you're going to say to your ex-wife well fine but now you have to keep making those mortgage payments and the real estate taxes and that's always a dangerous situation because if if the ex-husband's name is still on the mortgage and you know the ex-wife misses a couple of payments because she she didn't have the money or she forgot or something else came up it's going to ding the ex-husband's credit score So that's a dangerous situation. And then there's always the issues. I always strongly advise this is usually, unless, I mean, things are fairly amicable between the parties, it's a very dangerous situation to co-own post-divorce. I mean, what happens if the roof needs replacing? Who pays for it? How does that get worked out? I've seen so many situations, and, and if you look at the divorce settlement agreements, when they continue to co-own for a period of time? Because many times they'll say, look, Johnny graduates uh, you know, in two years from high school, and once he goes off to college, we'll sell the house. So why don't we continue to own it for two years? But then there's a whole 10 pages in the divorce settlement. How do you pick a broker? What happens if one party doesn't agree to the broker, but the other one wants to use the broker? Then, then there's the arbitration clause if they can't agree on it. What happens if they can't agree on the price? What happens if the property at that price isn't sold? How do you agree on how much to reduce it? There's so many what-if situations that come up that it's very onerous, and especially if things are not great between the two parties. Let's not forget, if things were that great, they probably wouldn't be divorcing. If things aren't that great, it's Pandora's box you're opening uh, to continue to own the property.
0: Jeff, I, I have seen that scenario play out myself and actually just recently happened with one of my divorcing women clients. And it, and it was very amicable and, and they were very civil to one another and they split costs as they came up, like what you were talking about. And there wasn't a lot of arguing about it and there wasn't a lot of tooth, tooth pooling to actually get the money, which is best case scenario. But you know what happened? The woman really didn't want to sell the house, and she had to because it was an obligation that they had to find. I, I think there was somewhere in the range of four or five years that they had outlined she could stay in the home, but there was an end date, and it was like the house has to be sold by X date, and in the end, she was really frustrated by that she felt stressed out she fe- felt anxiety about well where am I going to go what am I going to do I have to make this decision right now I'm getting down to the wire you, you know so it, it brings on a different level of stress even though I think in this situation they managed it very well even even in a well-managed situation that was amicable the divorcing woman still did not feel good about it when it came down to ultimately having to sell and even said to me Looking back at it, I, I wish I would have just bought him out. I wish I would have just stayed in the house verbatim. So agreed. But I think we talked a little bit about there there was an optimal solution if all the finances are right. Now, this is something that people often think is optimal, but usually doesn't play out optimally. Let's talk about some of the other options.
1: And then the most typical option and the cleanest of them all is just to sell the home, and then whatever's left after paying off the mortgage and real estate brokers associated costs with the sale, and then just dividing the equity, and then everybody goes their own way. And and that's usually the cleanest way to do it. But it may not be the preferred way if one spouse still wants to stay in the house. So that obviously eliminates that option if you're selling the house. And then As I said earlier, depending where you could get a new residence, you may need to take the kids out of the school they're going to and away from their friends. It may not necessarily be a great option, but that's the most typical one because people can't figure out how to to use the other options that might be available.
0: Right, exactly. Enter some of the solutions that you have created
1: one of the things, and it's still a work in progress, but under the Next Act Properties, one of the programs that we're going to have is that my company would actually buy the house and then rent it back to the spouse who wants to remain in the home and giving her, if it's if it's the wife, typically, giving her the option at a future date to buy back the house if she can, you know, maybe, you know, she'll go back to work or, or or whatever, but giving her the option to buy back the house at obviously a higher price, because one way or another, my company would have to make some some profit on that, but that would solve the problem of getting rid of the ex-spouse because now the house is sold, so he'll get his share of the equity. The spouse that wants to remain in the house with the kids get to stay there for X period of time as renters. But if they can and they have the ability a couple of years down the road to buy it back, then they have that option as well. That's one of the big options that we will be putting together. Um, I have to
0: say, Jeff, I I love this option as a a financial planning professional for divorcing women. I love it because you can quantify everything, right? right? It's very quantifiable. So, okay, there's an agreed buy price. Okay. Then there's an agreed division of the remaining equity. Then there's also an agreed rental price. And right. so then we can predict cash flow and how much more you have to live on top of that. You get to stay in the home. It makes the divorcing woman feel comfortable. They're not forced into some type of binding decision. And right. then I really love it because there's the optionality. Oftentimes people might find after whatever period of, of renting or seeing their kids off to school, you know what, this house really isn't right for me and I don't want to be stuck in it forever. So great, they can just move on. And then on the other hand, if they say, I really can't wait to get this home back into my own possession, you're not saying that you won't sell it back to them. What you're saying is, sure, I'll sell it back to you in the future. So we'll have some agreed upon price. And then that also gives them the chance to qualify, to understand what they need to do to qualify for the mortgage on their own, as if they're buying it in the first place. Right. Exactly. I love that
1: and during the time that they're renting it they're not responsible for real estate taxes if the roof leaks it's me as landlord that 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 has that responsibility a lot of those costs are of ownership are, are removed from them well, the
0: cost and also the burden. So right. if you're a divorcing woman and now all of a sudden this home is your responsibility, oftentimes that's a stressor. If, if you're in the home with your kids, that's your primary consideration. Now, all of a sudden you're responsible for maintenance and problems associated with the house, but as a renter, you're not. So exactly. that's really attractive.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the other two companies that I created, as I mentioned earlier is a uh, next stack mortgages, and Next Act Realty. The Next Act Realty is basically to help those couples in the situation where for whatever reason, they either want to or they need to sell the house. And I would work with them on a nationwide basis. I have a network of real estate brokers throughout the country that have experience dealing with divorcing couples and that's important not only do you want a good real estate broker that knows the market and knows how to negotiate the best price for you but when you're dealing with a divorcing couple, it's it's different than what most real estate brokers are used to. You have a married couple, they're all excited, they're buying a house or they're selling a house, buying something else. They're both on the same page. They're doing this as a couple, whereas in a divorcing situation, you have a husband and wife that might not even be talking to each other. So there's a much different skill set that that real estate broker has to have i mean they're neutral they can't favor one party over the other but they have to sort of be the diplomat the go between between the husband and wife and 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 give them both the same information and get them on the same page even if they hate each other and aren't talking to each other so it's it's really a different skill set and you really need to have a real estate broker that has the training and expertise uh, in dealing with divorcing couples. So that's the focus of, of my Next Act Realty. And then Next Act Mortgages is, is really to help the people that wanna remain in the house and do the refinancing. I'm currently licensed. Next Act Mortgages is licensed in Florida. will soon be in Colorado and eventually around the country. So I can immediately help people that are in Florida or the properties in Florida. And if it's outside, again, I have a network of mortgage experts that have the training and experience in uh, working with divorcing couples. And I would just refer them. I mean, if they're in Chicago, I can't personally help them, but I know the good mortgage brokers in Chicago that are experts in working with, divorcing people and understand exactly what we talked about before qualified income, how to get involved to make sure that both parties can accomplish what they want. As far as the real estate is concerned, not after the fact, but during the ongoing negotiations.
0: And there there's one other solution that I know we had talked about that. I want to make sure people are aware of your ability to assist with. In the beginning of this podcast, we talked about a situation where there's $200,000 of equity, assuming everything has been done right and they have been proactive about engaging um, professionals about refinancing and that the divorcing wife can qualify for the refinance. The issue becomes maybe she can qualify for the refinance, but she can't qualify for a cash out buyout right so she can't qualify for that extra 100k that she needs to buy out her spouse and to fully own the home in her own name both the property itself and the mortgage so in that situation you also have an ability to assist with that buyout component of that hundred thousand right that she needs to pay to the spouse can you talk a little bit about that
1: well, in, in, in the sense of advising alternatives, I mean, if, if, if she doesn't qualify for a larger mortgage where she has excess cash to buy out her ex-spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse, then we need to figure out what other assets can be used to do that. Or there's something called the property settlement agreement, whereby let's say it's a hundred thousand she owns, assumed to be uh X, where you agree to pay him you know a thousand dollars a month for X period of time until he gets his hundred thousand. If he's amenable to that, I mean, some people are going to say, you know, wait a second, I can't do that, I need the hundred grand because I'm putting a down payment on my new condo and, and I need that money, but in other cases it's doable. So again, it's understanding all the different options that they can't do the refinance and or the buyout, then they either have to look at at continuing to co-own the property together, which I said, in my opinion, is the worst solution, or selling it either to my company or a third party. There's not too many options other than that. That's pretty much it.
0: In kind of summary here, anyone listening that is going through this situation themselves or thinking about going through this situation, I think we have made it very clear that there are lots of nuances to it. And it is very common that the divorcing woman wants to stay in the primary home. You really need to be vigilant about what that means and engaging professionals that can help you figure it out. Certainly with Jeff's background and some of his creative solutions that he has come up with, it would make a lot of sense to reach out to him and kind of work through these options and see, all right, which one makes sense. And and how can you leverage his expertise to help you find the best solution in your particular situation? So thank you so much, Jeff, for really serving this community for coming up with these creative solutions for giving the, these women, the ability to continue to stay in their home. I know that this is such a hard part of the divorcing process for women. Just want to thank you for your creativity and for looking out for them. And, and I know that if they reach out to you, you are going to do your best to serve. Well,
1: them. My, my, my pleasure, Leah. Thank you so much. And one last point that I want to raise as well, uh, before we end our discussion today We've talked about being able to qualify and having enough money to maybe do the refi and and to buy out your spouse. But the other thing that is also important is Can you continue to afford the maintenance on the house and and, and all the expenses? I mean, you have real estate taxes. You know what happens if the roof needs replacing? I mean, a roof can cost twenty grand. What happens? Like people that live in Florida, we have hurricanes. What happens if something that's not covered by insurance, and and you've got to come up with ten or fifteen or twenty grand? Is 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 that going to Blow all the money you have. You you also have to think about those ongoing costs, uh, and uh, you you know you don't want to get stuck having a money pit. So that's all part of the decision making process as as you're going through the divorce to see if it's something realistic. And and that also brings in your background, Lee, as as a financial planner, is if all of a sudden you know they're hit with twenty grand of an unforeseen expenses. What do they do with that? You know, how do they deal with that?
0: Absolutely. I always I always sit down with anyone trying to make this decision and we do a really thorough expense inventory of, of expenses related to the primary home. And what I see all the time is that, those expenses are pretty high, right? Because oh, yeah. you're living together as a couple and based on certain assumptions about your income, and that might not be the case for you after the, after the divorce, number one. But number two, you were sharing the expenses. Now there are gonna be two primary home expenses. And that doesn't mean that both people own, but even renting, right? There's going right. to be two expenses where there was one, and that two expense for whatever it is to live is always more than one so it does really require a reality check it requires a very close inventory of what those expenses are going to be an inventory of what is the status of the home and what are expectations around costs associated with it and then a good margin on top of that because the reality is you never know you never know what's (laughs) going to happen with the home awesome points really excited for your new business venture i I think you're going to help out a lot of people out there divorcing women in particular
1: so thank you so much for your time Thank you. Oh, also much. one, one other,
0: one other thing. How, how to? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
1: My email is landers at nextactproperties.com. so people could always reach out that way as well.
0: Great, thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Heard of or Source with Leah Jones from Hightower Bethesda. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released. Hightower LLC is an SEC registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FINRA SIPC. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.